Well, good morning, New Breed. Hopefully you have your Bibles open to Daniel chapter 9, uh, beginning there in verse 20. And it's good to be back with you. It is good to open God's Word with you and see, see what He has for us this morning. And we are continuing on and steadily moving through our, our series in the book of Daniel, actually coming closer to the close, uh, this series that we've entitled Dominion, Faith, and Worship. And this morning, uh, I've titled the message, The Seventy Sevens. The Seventy Sevens. And before I dive in, church, let me take just a, a moment of liberty and just say here how much I miss you all. Uh, how much I am tired of sitting in front of a camera with just a couple of people here. I, I miss you. And didn't quite realize the toll that this would take on me to be doing this for so many months. And just seems that week after week, though I delight in opening God's Word, and I know you are there, and I know that you are listening, I long to see your face. And so I am praying all the more that you will, or that God will, bring an end to this pandemic. And my hope, if nothing else, is that when this is all said and done, church, that we would have such a love for the gathered body. Uh, because I think often we don't realize how much we need it and how much of a blessing it is until it is suddenly removed from us. But again, this morning as we continue in Daniel, the title is The Seventy Sevens. And I want to say here at the beginning that I am excited for this message and I am simultaneously terrified to preach it. And the reason for that is because within the text that we'll read here in just a moment, there are, there are four verses that many have deemed, and after spending some time studying it, I would agree at this point that they are four of the most difficult verses in all of the Bible to interpret. In fact, this was funny, and so I wanted to share it with you. One commentator notes that <clears throat> reading commentaries on the last four verses of Daniel 9 is akin to entering a bewildering maze. So many choices and ways to take, so many blind alleys and dead ends. And church, you just got to kind of laugh when you're studying a commentary and a commentator tells you that reading a commentary is like entering a maze with people going all different directions with alleys and dead ends and you've got to try to figure out the best way to interpret this text. And I, I felt that this week. Nevertheless, church, I... I believe that this text is a powerful text. And I believe that there are lessons for us to learn even from this difficult passage before me. But the reason it's somewhat terrifying for me is that the task before me as your pastor is to try as best as I can to help explain this in such a way that we understand it. Because I want to remind you that we never for a moment want to gloss over Scripture. And I know there is a temptation to gloss over Scripture. There's a temptation to gloss over parts that are hard or difficult to understand and to just kind of move on. But, but listen to me, church. I believe this with all that I am, that we need every word that is written in this book. Even the difficult section on the 77th. Because God has seen fit to reveal Himself to us 
through His Word. And if God saw fit to record this as a testimony to how amazing He is and His great work of redemption that has been working from the beginning of time, then we have to listen and we have to pay attention because we need all of Scripture, not just the parts that make us feel good, not just the ones that make cute bumper stickers. We need every word that God has decided to communicate to us in His most precious holy word. So we're going to dive in and do our best to understand this very difficult text. But before we read these verses, let me remind you of what has happened already in this chapter, because this is the first chapter in the book of Daniel that we've kind of split up. Normally, we've been taking them a chapter at a time. That's a helpful way to break up the book, because each chapter tends to deal with its own, uh, its own narrative or, or, or story in Daniel's life or its own prophetic vision. But we broke Daniel 9 up into two parts. <clears throat> and what we talked about last, last week was, was Daniel's prayer of repentance. And so Daniel 9 is taking place in the, the first year of Darius's reign. Now we've already identified earlier on that Darius is, is most likely Cyrus. Uh, and so Daniel is, 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 has this prophetic vision in the first year of Darius's reign. Daniel was reading the Word of God, specifically the prophet Jeremiah. And Daniel, if you remember, he came to understand that the captivity that God's people were currently facing was about to come to an end. That Daniel read that it would be 70 years and, uh, and the desolation of Jerusalem would, would be over. And so Daniel understands that their time in captivity is almost up. But Daniel also understands why it is they were in captivity in the first place. They had sinned. They had rebelled against God. As, and as it says in Daniel 9.13, the, the passage that we primarily looked at last week, Daniel says that as it's written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come upon us. Yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our iniquities and paying attention to your truth. And so what Daniel does is he pleads for forgiveness. He is attempting to turn from his sins and, and run after God because what Daniel understands is that if they don't get their sin in check, though their captivity might be over, God will put them right back in it as judgment for their sin if they do not repent. And so Daniel is repenting and pleading with God to show grace and mercy on the people. And as Daniel is praying, this is so incredible, as Daniel is praying, God responds to him. And look with me beginning there in verse 20 through the end of the chapter. Daniel records this. He says, while I was speaking, praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my petition before the Lord my God concerning the holy mountain of my God. While I was praying, Gabriel, the man I had seen in the first vision, reached me in my extreme weariness about the time of the evening offering and he gave me this explanation, Daniel, I've come now to give you understanding. At the beginning of your petitions, an answer went out, and I have come to give it, for you are treasured by God. So consider the message and understand the vision. Now here, verse 24, here is what Gabriel says. He says, 70 weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city 
to bring the rebellion to an end, to put a stop to sin, to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. Know and understand this. From the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until an anointed one, the ruler, will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. It will be rebuilt with a plaza and a moat, but in difficult times. And after those 62 weeks, the anointed one will be cut off and will have nothing. The people of the coming ruler will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come like a flood, and until the end there will be war, desolations are decreed. He will make a firm covenant with many for one week, but in the middle of the week he will put a stop to sacrifice and offering, and the abomination of desolation will be on a wing of the temple until the decreed destruction is poured out on the desolated. So Heavenly Father, as we dive into this text of Scripture, Lord, I pray that you would give us patience, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear, and that we would long to understand your word so that we can have a better picture of who you are, our most faithful and amazing God. It's in Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, what I want to do is I want to follow the pattern that I've set before in terms of how we've kind of dealt with these these visions and these dreams and these prophetic sections of the book of Daniel. And, and what we've typically been doing is we've, we've spent a good bit of time at the front end just seeking to understand the text, the interpretation, what, what the dream or the vision or the message means. And, and then what I want to do towards the end of our sermon is offer you some some practical lessons that I believe will encourage you here and now in your faith and walk with Jesus. So, so I want to kind of walk through this text, but, but I want to just pick right up with, the, with what Gabriel says there in verse 24. And so the vision starts, and Gabriel says, 70 weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to bring the rebellion to an end, to put a stop to sin, to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness to seal up vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy place. So we'll come back to the time span of 70 weeks in just a moment because it is very significant to this text. But, but what we see in verse 24 is basically the ultimate purpose of what God is going to do. It's, it's kind of like the thesis statement of what is to follow. The, the ultimate aim of God, what he wants Daniel to know. And what God is communicating is that, listen, in response to your plea for repentance, I want you to know that God says that I am working to bring rebellion to an end to put a stop to and to atone for sin and bring everlasting righteousness that God is saying that he is going to bring about this person in whom all the visions and prophecies will be fulfilled. In other words, the one in whom all God's promises will find their yes. And this person will not only be the anointed one, but be the one who inaugurates the very kingdom of God on earth. And there in verse 24, you see that what, what God is pointing to, or, or more, more precisely, you see 
who it is that God is pointing to as a response to Daniel's repentance. As a response to Daniel's repentance, God promises Jesus. This, this anointed one who will come and, and in him, in him rebellion will come to an end and, and sin will stop and, and iniquity will be atoned for and, and with him will come everlasting righteousness and, and in him will be the fulfillment of every vision and every prophecy. And so, so God responds to Daniel's plea for, for forgiveness and mercy and grace by promising Jesus. The one who will conquer and the one who will bring peace. But now comes the difficult work of Daniel, specifically verses 24 through 27 of chapter 9, is we have to somehow understand this time frame of 70 weeks. Because we read this and we know that Jesus did not come in 70 weeks. We know that it was hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus came. So, so we have to try to dissect and understand a little bit about what this 70 weeks means. Now first, and this is very important, you have to understand that the actual translation is not 70 weeks. The actual translation is 70 sevens. 70 sevens. And this Literal translation will actually help us understand what is going on. So whenever you see weeks in the text, you could actually read sevens. So there in verse 24, 70 sevens are decreed. There in verse 25, there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. Right? So, so the literal translation is 70 sevens. But now we have to answer the question, and this is where so many people have different opinions, what does 77s mean? Now, I'm not going to, in any way, shape, or form, try to go through all the arguments for what the 77s are. I'm going to teach you what I believe to be the most faithful interpretation of 77s and how we understand that. But in order to understand this, and I, and I want you to bear with me, it's going to get thick here, but this is good, right? That's why I preface this with we want to know God, and God has seen <clears throat> fit to communicate himself to us by speaking of 77s. But, but in order for us to understand this, there are a couple of things we have to consider. First, we have to refer back to the very beginning of the chapter in verse 2 where Daniel mentions 70 years, which he sees in Jeremiah. So in Jeremiah, those 70 years were not a literal 70 years. So we're starting to get a picture that maybe the numbers used aren't literal because even as, as, as Daniel references the 70 years, he would have known it wouldn't be a literal 70 years. But, but this is where I think we get the best understanding and get a fuller picture of what is going on. See, we actually have to consider Leviticus chapter 25, which Daniel would have known, which reads, beginning in verse 8, like this. You are to count seven sabbatical years, seven times seven years. So that the time period of the seven sabbatical years amounts to 49. Then you are to sound a ram's horn loudly in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month. You will sound it throughout the land on the day of atonement. You are to consecrate the fiftieth year and proclaim freedom in the land for all its inhabitants. It will be your jubilee. 
when each of you is to return to his property and each to his own clan. The 50th year will be your jubilee. You are not to sow, reap what grows by itself, or harvest its untended vines. It is to be holy to you because it is the jubilee. So in Leviticus 25, we see the year of jubilee that's written into the Mosaic law. And it was 49 years, so seven sevens, seven times seven, 49 years. And it was a literal 49 years in Leviticus 25. And then after those 49 years, every 50th year was to be a year of jubilee. That, the year of jubilee, what that is, is actually help, it's helpfully explained by one author when he says, it is a year at the end of seven cycles of sabbatical years. And according to biblical regulations, so pay attention to what happens at the year of Jubilee, it had a special impact on the ownership and management of land in the land of Israel. According to the book of Leviticus, on the year of Jubilee, Hebrew slaves and prisoners could be freed. Debts would be forgiven and the mercies of God would be particularly manifest. So it's helpful to understand the 77s, not in terms of weeks, but in terms of sabbatical years, like in Leviticus 25. Now again, in the book of Leviticus, it was 49 literal years which ended with a celebration of freedom and deliverance. And all of this meant to help the people see and understand the mercies of God. And so now in the book of Daniel, it's multiplied tenfold. What you have to understand is that Gabriel is not trying to give literal dates for what is going to happen. He is not trying to say that in 490 years, Jesus will come and redeem people by dying on the cross, ultimately culminating in the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. He is not speaking in terms of literal years, but Gabriel is speaking figuratively here in terms of time. But he is speaking to Daniel, track with me here, in such a way that Daniel would have immediately thought of Leviticus 25 in the year of Jubilee. So when he comes and says these 77s, Daniel's first thought would have been there's something similar to that in Leviticus 25 of, of seven sevens. Oh, that's the year of Jubilee. And so he already would have started to put these pieces together that, that Gabriel wants me to think in terms of this year of Jubilee. And what Gabriel is saying is that at the culmination of this time, there will be another celebration of Jubilee, of freedom and deliverance that will be greater than anything you have ever seen up until this point. Because it won't just be the freedom of slaves from earthly masters. It will be a freedom available to all from sin and death. And so that multiplication of 10 times isn't trying to give a literal date. It's trying to show the, uh, the immeasurable greatness of this jubilee that is to come compared to the jubilee of old. Yeah. Yeah. And so in then, moving into verses 25 and 26, Gabriel goes on in these verses, actually 25 through 27, and he starts mapping out what these 77s will look like. And Gabriel says first in verse 25, know and understand this, from the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until an anointed one, the ruler, will be seven weeks 
or seven sevens, and 62 sevens. It will be rebuilt with a plaza and a moat, but in difficult times. And so first, the first thing that Gabriel mentions is that the first thing that Daniel can expect to happen will be the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem and the temple. And that will be the first seven. Now this would have been the decree that Ezra speaks of in Ezra 1.1 when he says, in the first year of King Cyrus, which we know as King Darius of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken through Jeremiah, the Lord roused the spirit of King Cyrus to issue a proclamation throughout his entire kingdom and to put it in writing. This is the same thing that Isaiah prophesied would happen, that God would use this Medo-Persian king to set his people free. But what's interesting to note is that that declaration comes in the first year of Cyrus' reign. And what year is Daniel in right now? Well, he's in the first year of Darius or Cyrus's reign. So this proclamation is coming very soon. It's within the year. Daniel will see it come to fruition. And this will be the first thing that happens that in Daniel's mind will trigger, ah, now we're in the time of the 77s. It will be happening very soon. Again, Gabriel communicates that this will be the first seven of the 77s. Now, in just a moment, I'm going to show you a timeline to hopefully help map this out for you. So bear with me for just a moment. But then he says in verse 25 that from that point until the anointed one comes will be 62 weeks or 62 sevens. So the first sevens will be marked by this decree that Israel can return and rebuild. And Jerusalem can be reestablished. And then from, from that time until the anointed one comes will be 62 sevens. So now we're up to 63 of the 70 sevens. So bear with me. I know it's a lot. I'm going to bring this home. You're tracking well. I know it. I can see it in your faces. Everyone's smiling, writing it down, understanding exactly what's going on. But then in verses 26 and 27, we read this. After those 62 weeks, or those 62 sevens, the anointed one will be cut off and will have nothing. The people of the coming ruler will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come with a flood, and until the end, there will be war and desolations are decreed. He will make a firm covenant with many for one week, but in the middle of the week, he will put a stop to offering, or sorry, put a stop to sacrifice and offering. And the abomination of desolation will be on a wing of the temple until the decreed destruction is poured out on the desolator. So the final thing that Gabriel says will happen is that Jesus will come, the anointed one. But, he says, he will be cut off. And this refers to Jesus' death, where, as it says in Hebrews, Jesus was taken outside the city to suffer, right? He was cut off from the people. Again, this refers to, to what Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah 53 of the suffering servant. It says, yet he himself bore our sickness and he carried our pains, but we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions, crushed crushed because of our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and we are healed by his wounds. 
We all went astray like sheep. We all have turned to our own way. And the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb led to the slaughter and like a a sheep silent before her shearers, he did not open his mouth. He was taken away because of oppression and judgment. And who considered his faith? Now listen, Isaiah says, for he was cut off. From the land of the living, he was struck because of the people's rebellion. So Gabriel is prophesying that Jesus who will come and show up, this anointed one, will be cut off. He will die for our sins. But then he says, the people of the coming ruler will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come with a flood. And until the end, there will be war and desolations are decreed. So this timeline includes not only Jesus coming and dying and rising from the dead, but also the destruction of the temple that would follow in 70 AD, which the Jews themselves would have a hand in. And so this constitutes the last seven sevens. And it's interesting to note that it's broken up into two parts there in verse 27. It says, He will make a firm covenant with many for one week or for one seven. But in the middle of the the week, so in the middle of the seven, he will put a stop to sacrifice and offering and the abomination of desolation will be on a wing of the temple until the decreed destruction is poured out on the desolator. So this last section, right, part of what will take place is that Jesus will establish a new covenant. And it will be a, a covenant established with many, not just the Jews. But the second half of of that seven is the destruction of the temple and the ushering end of the end times as we wait for Jesus' culmination of the kingdom at his second return. So let me me try to summarize this this time frame for you. And so I'm going to put something up on, on the screen there. Uh, and Carlos wanted me to say, to give him the cue to, to roll that beautiful bean footage. So, so hopefully you can see this, this up on your screen there. This is kind of a breakdown of what we're talking about. So you see the first seven. And that constitutes from Cyrus's decree permitting all exiles to return to the rebuilding of the temple in the city of Jerusalem. And, and then the next 62 sevens. Those would be from the days when the temple and the city were rebuilt to the arrival of Jesus, the anointed one. And then the 70th seven, that's from the redemptive work of Jesus' death on the cross to the judgment of Jesus on the Jerusalem temple in A.D. 70. Now, the culmination of all of this time is celebration. Right? Because he forces Daniel to consider the year of Jubilee. And so after this 77s, what, what, what Daniel would think is that, well, there's going to come a celebration. There's going to come something grand after that. And, and what, what, what is to be celebrated is the fact that the Savior has come and that he has redeemed and that he has brought everlasting righteousness, that he has established in his death and resurrection a new covenant, a better covenant. And in him, as it says in verse 24, Jesus has brought rebellion to an end. He has put a stop 
to sin. He has atoned for iniquity and he has brought everlasting righteousness. He is the fulfillment of all of God's promises. So that is somewhat of a breakdown of the interpretation, at least, of what in the world is going on in these verses. And so hopefully you're still with me. Hopefully the viewer count hasn't dropped out. But now we have to ask the very important question. What in the world do we do with this? With these 77s and this obscure timeline and the year of Jubilee and a better Jubilee and, 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 and what do we make of Gabriel telling Daniel all of this? That, that this is what God wanted Daniel to hear in response to his cry of repentance. Well, let me offer you three what I think to be very tangible takeaways or lessons that we learn from this, these last few verses of Daniel chapter 9. Here's the first thing. Remember that we pray to a sovereign God who hears and responds. Remember that we pray to a sovereign God who hears and responds. Listen, I don't want it to be lost in all of the details that we covered. I think the details matter. I think they show how amazing God is in his sovereign hand in bringing about the future as he wants it, that he's not, he's not playing catch up, but he is orchestrating all of this. But, but I, don't want, I don't want it to get lost in the details of the 77s, the context and what's going on here. Because Daniel has been repenting and pleading for God to forgive. And Daniel ends his prayer in verse 19 with, Lord, hear, Lord, forgive, Lord, listen and act. My God, for your own sake, do not delay because your city and your people bear your name. And one of the most amazing things happens. God responds. He literally responds to Daniel through Gabriel. But he responds and says, I will forgive and I will act and I will for the glory of my name redeem a people unto myself. God answered the prayer of his righteous servant. But not only that, we see that God delighted in this prayer of Daniel. Because remember what Gabriel told him at the very beginning of his response in verse, verses 22 and 23. It says, Daniel, I've come now to give you understanding at the beginning of your petitions and answer went out. Let's just pause there for a minute. God didn't even need to wait for the prayer to be over to know how to respond. He, he says that at the beginning of your petition an answer already went out. But he says this, and I have come to give it for you are treasured by God. God delighted in Daniel. And he delights in him because Daniel remained faithful in the midst of exile. Daniel has treasured God above all else. Daniel has bowed when the world stands. And Daniel has been faithful. And so God looks at his servant and God delights in the prayers and the petitions of Daniel. And Daniel is said to be treasured by God. Oh, how I want that to be said about me. But I am treasured by God. And I want to commend this to you this morning. When we are faithful to cry out to God, He hears us. But not only that, God delights in it. 
Proverbs 15.8 reminds us that the sacrifice of the wicked is detestable to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is His delight. I mean, we want to bring joy to the heart of God. I want God to delight me. And God says that the prayer of the upright is His delight. I mean, that's incredible all in itself. That the sovereign God of all creation, the one who holds the world in His hands, He wants to talk to us. He wants to be in a relationship with us. I mean, therefore, why would we neglect to pray? But even more, why would we think He doesn't listen? Now, I want to be honest with you and transparent with you. I struggle with this. This is one of my greatest hindrances in my prayer life. And and I would be lying if I didn't tell you that I struggle often day in and day out to believe the truth that God hears me. Because sometimes I just think that why in the world would God listen to me? Why would He care what I'm asking? And sometimes I go to the other end of the spectrum and it's just I just don't even believe He listens. I can be tempted to believe that God just kind of created all this stuff, saved us in Jesus and said, all right, I'll see you at the end of all this, figure it out. And I I know that's silly because I know the Bible teaches the the opposite of that, but I can fall into that trap of just believing that God doesn't hear me when I pray and that he, he won't respond. But this reminder in Daniel is so precious to me because it reminds me that God does indeed respond to the prayers of his children. And as we see in Daniel, sometimes it's immediately But as we see elsewhere in Scripture, sometimes it takes time, but that God delights in the prayers of the righteous and God longs for us to come to Him in prayer. And in Christ Jesus, hear me, in Christ, we are guaranteed that God hears and answers our prayers. Charles Spurgeon once said that the streaming wounds of Jesus are the sure guarantees for answered prayers. The streaming wounds of Jesus are the sure guarantees for answered prayer. But in this passage, we are also reminded that the God who answers prayers is in fact a sovereign God. Church, that's good news. Because it means that God is not answering them as one who has to fit his answers into an unknown future, but rather he is answering them as the one who determines the future. That God spelled out for Daniel, this is exactly what I am going to do. I'm going to allow you to return to Israel and rebuild the temple and then you will stay there for a season and then I'm going to bring my anointed one and he will conquer sin and conquer death and put an end to rebellion. But it doesn't mean that the, the end will come just yet because then there will be wars until the final culmination when Christ comes again and his kingdom is fully realized. God spells all this out, not as wishful thinking, but as the one who directs the fate of all of human history and so we pray to a God that can do anything he is sovereign and in control which means that there is nothing that is too hard for him nothing that is impossible for our God but we have to remember and we learn this about praying to a sovereign God who hears and responds Just because he is sovereign and just because he hears and just because the blood of Christ guarantees that he will respond because we are righteous in Christ, it does not mean that he will respond how we want or think. 
but they will be answered. You see, for Daniel, I highly doubt that this was the response he was expecting from God when he pleaded for forgiveness and repentance and mercy. But God responded. And God was faithful. This leads to the second lesson that I have for you. We must rejoice in the faithfulness of our God even in the most tumultuous times. We must rejoice in the faithfulness of our God even in the most tumultuous times. Church, one of the things that we have repeatedly seen throughout the book of Daniel, and I feel like I say it in every sermon and I am okay with that, is we see just how faithful God is. And you see God's faithfulness on full display in this chapter. God is faithful to respond. God is faithful to judge. God is faithful to forgive. God is faithful to redeem. God is faithful to his promises. And God is faithful to his people. And we see all of that in this chapter. And church, we have to rejoice in this. We have to rejoice that our rejoice in the fact that our God is a faithful God. And especially in the most tumultuous times. Because it is God's faithfulness that gives Daniel hope while he is still in the midst of exile. Daniel hears what God is going to do. And Daniel believes because Daniel, when you look back and you remember the narrative of his life, God has already seen, or Daniel has already seen God work in power. Daniel has seen his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego preserved in the midst of the fire. Daniel has seen God save his life from the lion's den. Daniel has seen God sustain them on food that should not have sustained them and to show that what God has is ten times better again 10 times better just like tenfold celebration and so for Daniel he hopes in God's faithfulness in the midst of tumultuous times and he believes that his faithful God will do what he has promised and church we need to be reminded of that as well because we are and we feel it and we know it in the midst of a broken broken world we are living in a world right now that is in the midst of a pandemic it is broken there are people that still don't have jobs there are people that that don't know if unemployment checks are going to come there there are there are people that are wondering if they're going to get sick or if a family member is going to get sick they these are tumultuous times and on top of that we are we are in the midst of 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 social unrest And, and i would say rightly so as, as we, we have to come to reckon with the past of this country and the insufficient action to, to reconcile that which has been broken and systems of, of oppression and, and racism and white supremacy. And we are living in the midst of, of, of tumultuous times. And church, it is easy for us to be disheartened and discouraged in the tumultuous times because we think that God has abandoned us or we think that God is not working or we think that God is not moving but we have to believe even in the midst of great difficulty that our God is the faithful God that has always come through time and time again and we can trust in our faithful God but we have to remember that he doesn't have to do what we want 
And he doesn't have to answer our prayers how we want him to. Again, I mean, Daniel, when you look at Daniel's prayer, it's fascinating because what Daniel was actually asking God was, hey, restore us to right standing in the covenant that exists now, in the old covenant. He says, restore us to a right standing because we have broken your covenant. We have abandoned your laws and we know that, that the stipulations of the covenant are that you will be our God and we will be your people and you will be faithful, but we have to be faithful to keep your law as well. And Daniel says, listen, we know that we have broken the law of Moses. As it's written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come upon us. That is his acknowledgement that they have broken the covenant. And so he's saying, God, restore us to a right place in that covenant. And God responds and says, I I'll do you one better. I'm going to create a new covenant. One that is not based off of your works, but on the righteousness of my anointed one. Daniel wasn't looking for that, but what God gave him was so much better. And sometimes in the midst of turmoil, we have to take our eyes off of the thing that we think we need and trust that when God acts and moves, it will always be better. How devastating it would have been if God restored him in the old covenant. But God gave his treasured child a promise of something better. And so church, we rejoice in the faithfulness of our God even in the most tumultuous times. Right now, rejoice in the faithfulness of your God. But here's the final lesson that I have for you. Final lesson that there are many we could pull out, but the final one that I want to pull out from Daniel chapter 9, verses 20 through 27. Church, we must marvel at the freedom we have in Christ. We must marvel at the freedom that we have in Christ. Because remember, remember, remember this entire section of Scripture. I believe, is meant to be understood in light of the year of Jubilee in Leviticus 25. A celebration of freedom and forgiveness and debts being paid. And God is telling Daniel that he is going to do something that will bring a freedom like he has never seen before. It will bring a restoration beyond anything that he can imagine. And God says that my grace and my mercy will be understood in its fullness. And what God is calling Daniel to do and what God is calling us to do is to marvel at Jesus. And for Daniel, it was to marvel in anticipation for what God would do in Christ Jesus. And church, we have all the more reason to celebrate because we don't marvel at what God will do. We get to marvel at what He has done. We can verify to Daniel that God did everything He said that He would do. Daniel didn't see the anointed one come, but he believed that He would come. And so Daniel was marveling in anticipation for what God would do. And we stand on the other side of the cross and we declare, Daniel, He was faithful. He did what he said he would do and we marvel at the freedom we have in Christ and this jubilee, this freedom, this deliverance is so much better than what was promised in Leviticus 25. And the freedom that we have is the freedom from the bondage of sin. It is the very thing that Daniel pleaded for and God delivered. 
And all because Jesus conquered. And church, that's the message of the gospel. That's the message that we marvel and revel in. It's where we find the beautiful declaration that God is faithful because Jesus did show up and He did conquer. He conquered the law because He faithfully fulfilled every one of God's commands, something that we could not do which separated us from Him. He faithfully conquered the law. And then he went to the cross and conquered sin and death and the grave. And he atoned for sins and made a way for us to be restored back to God. He provided the forgiveness that Daniel longed for. Jesus conquered. In his death and resurrection, Jesus has brought an end to rebellion. Jesus has put a stop to sin. Jesus has atoned for iniquity. And Jesus has brought an everlasting righteousness. And even more, Jesus is the fulfillment of all God's promises. The kingdom has come. And church, the heartbeat of our worship has to be that we are free in Christ. We are no longer slaves to sin. We are no longer condemned because of sin. We are no longer strangers and aliens of the covenant and the promise. Because as it says in 1 Peter chapter 2, we in Christ Jesus are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His possession, so that we may proclaim the praises of the One who called us out of darkness and into His marvelous light. And so church, we proclaim it. In the midst of restful times, we proclaim it. In the midst of trying times, we proclaim it. In the midst of seasons of chaos and peace, in every season, we proclaim the praises of the One who has called us from darkness into His marvelous light, and we celebrate the jubilee that is better. Church, we have to marvel at the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus. Because if we have nothing that this world offers, but we are free in Christ, we have everything. And that alone is a reason to sing. But as I draw this to a close, I want to say this, that if you are listening to this this morning and you have tuned in and you have not placed your faith in Christ, I want you to know that you are not free. And you are still a slave to sin. You are still in bondage and you are trapped. And, and in that bondage and slavery to sin, you are separated from God. But though you are not free, I want you to know that you can be free in Christ Jesus. Because the Jesus that was promised to Daniel, the anointed one, the Jesus that we believe showed up nearly 2,000 years ago. He did. He faithfully fulfilled the law. He never sinned. He never, he never disobeyed his father, his mother. He never lied. He never stole. He never lusted. He was faithful. And therefore, he deserved no punishment for sin. And yet he went to the cross and paid a debt that he did not owe, but that you and I did. And he died in our place. And in his death and resurrection, when he raised from the dead three days later, Jesus conquered. He conquered sin. He conquered death. He took our condemnation and our, and our judgment and wrath. And we can have freedom to follow after God because of what Christ has done. And we, we, we come to him with faith and repentance, believing that it's Christ and Christ alone. That it, that it is Jesus and nothing else. 
and by turning from our sin and running after God. And so if you are listening and you have not placed your faith in Christ, you are not free, but you can be. Because God is faithful. So church, let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this declaration to Daniel from your mouth through Gabriel, God, that you are faithful and that you deliver and that you redeem and that you can and have overcome sin. You have brought everlasting righteousness through Christ Jesus and that we, those who were once not a people, are now your people because of faith in Christ. And so, Lord, I pray that we would be a people that continue to pray boldly, believing in a sovereign God who hears and responds to his children. That we would not for a moment buy into the lie that we are burdensome to you. And God, I pray that we would rejoice in your faithfulness, that even when, when the, things seem dark and, and, and things seem hard and we, and we don't know what's going on and it just seems like chaos all around, I pray that we would believe that you are faithful, that you always show up and you always show out in just the right way. And Lord, I pray that we would marvel in the greater freedom that we have in Christ Jesus. That we would indeed celebrate the only year of Jubilee that matters. The one in which our debt was paid and our sins were atoned for and our iniquity was put in the grave. And now, because of Jesus, there is no condemnation for us who are in Christ Jesus. And we marvel and we worship. It's in the precious name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Amen.